Welcome to Two Vets Chewing the Fat. Two Vets acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast is recorded on. Animal health has become overcomplicated. We want to help you navigate through the reams of misinformation and empower you to take charge of your animal's health to live happier, healthier and longer lives. Join Dr Ash and Dr Sina getting together and sharing decades of experience as veterinarians, answering your questions, debunking myths and unveiling the secret world of vet. All the while having a laugh, chewing the fat. And don't forget to always seek the advice of your pet's veterinarian as advice given here is of a general nature and does not replace a physical examination. Please note, occasional coarse language may slip out. Hi guys, and welcome to our second podcast in May of 23. Today, I wanted to really talk about what the best day looks like in the life of a veterinarian. There are days where we have our ups and downs, but thankfully our highs are so much more frequent. And I just thought it'd be really fun to enlighten some of our listeners to what a really good day and what makes us feel fantastic as vets. Yeah, scenes when we sort of brushed on, you know, our topic for our second podcast, it was like, well, when you mentioned this one, I was like, where do we start? Like the mind was racing over here, over there. There's so many good days. And I think a, a common misconception is that there's lots of bad days when really there may be some bad moments in an overall good day. Um, but for by and large, they're wonderful days. And and when we've had as many as you and I have had, I did the math because as soon as you said, I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to choose 4,000, over 4,000 for me and over 7,000 for you. So, oh, God. you know, the short list is, you know, this is a pretty tight short list. So, look, we'll do our best, but why don't we start um, with your one of your best day scenes? Yeah, I think, you know, when I think of the best days, it's when you can get some really good and automatic um, improvements in your patients and see to see them going from really, really sick on death's door to waking up, getting the pores out, you know, and they're just so much better instantly. And the thing that comes to mind for me for that is when you've got a cat with a urethral blockage um, or the old block. Mm. Yeah. It is, um, having known, I think my father had a blocked urethra once and he said the pain level was extraordinary, much more than, you know, I think he rated it as about a 15 out of 10. Oh, um, Jesus. So what happens is the, the bladder fills, the urethra stops and the bladder continues to be filled by urine being produced by the kidneys and there's nowhere for it to go. So you, it is a condition if it's not treated fast enough the cat goes into shock um, and is fatal and as I said before it's extremely painful but if we can get them in stabilize them give them some pain relief and importantly unblock that urethra which is sometimes easy and it's sometimes really really tricky we've um, all had those ones that are you know straightforward and yeah and then others that aren't so 
Absolutely. But the joy of popping that little catheter in and getting a square to pee out, there's nothing like it. It's like, yes. Yeah, absolutely. You don't even care if it squirts you in the face. Nah. Um, yeah, so that for me is one of the things that if, if that happens in a day, that's a great day. It is a great day. It's just to see them go from, you know, as you said, excruciating pain and so you know, angry because they're just in so much pain and then to wake up, as you said before, needing, you know, almost just needing the air, like that's how happy and relieved they are. Even before they fully wake up, it's just so joyful, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) And so what about you? What's next on your list? Oh, next on my list is... um, you know, another cat theme as we're both very big cat lovers. Um, Obviously we love all animals, but cats have a special place in our hearts. Um, But for me, my shortlist is topped by getting cats to eat again, whether they're in hospital, uh, at home, um, and in particular when they're in hospital for whatever the cause, whether that be post-surgical or medical illness, um, like kidney issues or gastrointestinal disease, irrespective if a cat doesn't want to eat they can have a standoff for days and you cannot get them home until they start eating and they will not get better irrespective of the cause until they start eating again and if they do not eat after a certain amount of time and you don't intervene with you know without syringe feeding or so on they will go into hepatic lipidosis so fatty liver syndrome as their body tries to fight that and you know, dogs do not get that same metabolic syndrome. And so there's a lot more pressure to get a cat eating again and quickly. Um, and they can be a little standoffish um, when they're sore and in pain. And I like to romance them. I think that's the best way to describe it. Very non-scientific. And the girls and guys at the clinic will agree that singing is not my forte, but I do like to <laughs> sing to them. And my favourite go-to is You Are My Sunshine, my very sunshine, you make me happy on rainy days. And I know it sounds ridiculous and non-scientific, but I would almost say it's almost foolproof. That and a little butt <laughs> and getting them to eat again and it just is the best moment, like You know, nothing is better than that. And it's a combination of romance, rapport and medical know-how. But I would actually say romancing and rapport almost comes above medical (laughs) know-how. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there's nothing sadder than an anorexic kitty. Um, But they I don't know whether it's because they're so empathetic or they can pick up on the emotions and the feeling and if they know that things are okay so the sing and the butt rub and everything I think for them it's just oh all right this is okay I can do this I can do this so yeah that's awesome I know it's fun (laughs) and I think our next one Dale is a bit of a a shared um, one here which um, we actually didn't realize we both had a a similar story so I'll let you start with yours but um, the topic of a best day here is facial reconstruction of a dog's face. Yeah yeah so I think this might come back to when we're both working in rural practice um, because you tend to see a fair bit more um, of trauma uh, going on 
So my one is I was working one day and had a Kelpie that fell off the back of a ute. And when it came in, its nose, which is normally here, was literally hanging up and it was just literally attached from the base of the bone uh, by a bit of skin and all the cartilage and the turbinates and everything else was completely disconnected and upright. Um, when we work in rural practice, often you don't have specialists around and you don't have the the benefit of specialists to, to be around. And particularly when I was there, it was a long time ago, things were a bit different 25 years ago. Um, and, and so we, I just started to reconstruct this dog's face. I put a couple of straws in to let me know where the nostrils should be and brought it down and bit by bit and bit by bit we got it all together. Mm. And, I, you know, I wasn't, I, I was pretty happy with how it all came together. Like I was actually really happy with how it all came together. But these are working dogs and if they're not able to work again properly, they're probably not going to survive. You know, that's the the honesty of it. Um, and so, you know, the dog comes in for, came in for its stitches to, to be removed and I was like, oh, how is it going and what's he been like? He goes, oh, yeah, he's been great, mate. I've had him out working the sheep two days later and I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> they're such oh. hardy creatures, aren't they, really? Oh. Like. Just I can the, imagine yeah. if, if it was a Bichon or something like that, there's no way it would have gone that way. I think it it just knew it had to survive. Yeah. Yeah. By will, sheer will alone. And they do Absolutely. just get on with it, the the rural uh dogs. And yeah, again, how you know how that all just works out, you know, the universe just aligns. I do not know. But yeah. mine is a similar story. Um in, of course, rural practice. And again, yeah, not much help around. I'm the after hours, um, similar to you. And essentially, a border collie um, under the fence uh, was barking along the bottom and an Australian cattle dog bit its nose off. Very similar, everything to the cartilage off, but instead of, you know, more that way, it was really hanging down just because of the the type of, oh, well, they're very similar schnozzers, but he must have been extra agitated and he was trying to eat his oh. own, you know, nasal pad and all of that. And so, you know, as you know, blood going everywhere, hysterical owners because they're like, you know, Hannibal Lecter, what the hell's going on? Um, similar things, straws, tacking down. Very satisfying and, um, yeah, good outcomes. But to this very day, my dogs and I walk at least a fair way away from under <laughs> the fence because I'm not having my dog poke its nose under and get a bit off. It's, you know, but it was very satisfying. Yeah, there are some things you can't unsee, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this is true. Oh, oh, so I think, Ash, you've got another sort of um, super satisfying thing, which probably stems back from your, your rural working days again, but we still, you know, still carries through. Yeah, well, one of my um, first jobs was in uh, Gawler, South Australia, um, and it was a lovely practice and I had lovely boss, lovely colleagues, 
Um, but at the base of the Barossa there, there are a lot of uh, working dogs, lots of um, out and about and grass seeds galore. And grooming wasn't necessarily top of the list. Um, and, yeah, there are a lot of long-haired dogs, um, you know, your border collies, et cetera, um, and grass seeds at that time of year as the seeds set and drop off. And if you're not on top of your mowing, which in the country, you know, you're not going to get over your hectares and stop all mm. of that happening. And it would not be uncommon for us to be digging out 80 to 100 grass seeds on the one pet in one city yeah. under anesthesia everywhere ears, um, behind third eyelids, up nostrils, um, penises, um, chest cavities, everywhere. And, you know, it's such a challenge, as you know, that they're not straightforward. They they can be very rewarding because they come out or they can be extremely frustrating and frustrating for everyone because they're costly, they're time-consuming, they're painful, they may require revision surgeries. If there's any little bit left, they migrate and cause further pain and discomfort, which means second surgeries. Um, so I think what makes them ultra satisfying is that they can be very dissatisfying as well. So when you do get them, they're great, um, but they can be really, really hard, as you know. I'm sure you've yeah. got a couple of stories about those as well. Well, yeah, so when I was working in the Mallee, same sort of thing. Like you'd often have dogs that came in and it wasn't just, you know, the one or two grass seeds that we might see in the city. Um, they would be absolutely covered. I think, you know, the most that we counted one day was about 122, mm-hmm. and that was in a, uh, well, we call pig dog, um so not even in your long-haired dogs it was your short-haired dogs but just it was just inundated um but yeah there is nothing more satisfying particularly for a grass seed that's tracked a reasonable distance to to get there and find it um because it can be like the inevitable you know needle in a haystack or grass seed in a dog you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. Take your pick. I think I'd exactly. take a needle in a haystack. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, you're not bearing through skin and flesh to, to find it. But yeah, as you say, when they do come out, it's um, get up and do the happy dance. Yes, yes. And <laughs> since we are talking about best days and everything, this is, you know, the topic of happy days. And yeah. what makes us happier, Sina, than puppies? Puppies. puppies. We're, we're still excited. We're still I excited know. about puppies. We've both got puppies at the moment, which is so much fun. Or you might know that every now and then, but <laughs> bringing that life into the world and, you know, whether that be natural. But we don't tend to see those so much, do we? We tend to see the C-sections. So I'm sure you've got a good story or two about that. Yeah, probably um, I've done a lot of cesarean sections in, in the past. So my puppy is just playing with my cat. Um, <laughs> and the the one that really comes to mind is a, a really late night emergency cesarean in a Mastiff. Uh, and again, this would have been, you know, the 20, 25 years ago or so when we didn't have after, you know, after our clinics as such. And when you were on call, you were often on call by yourself. Yes. So it, you know, 
it's satisfying what you can do, but it's also at times not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, you would mostly in the circumstance have an owner there ready to catch the puppies, do all the things that your nurse would do um, and assist you in your anesthetic the whole way through. And sometimes it's talking them through it. Uh, and so there's, you know, that, that could be, really difficult um and certainly wouldn't be a position a position that i'd want to be in now um this particular night i had uh just me the owner decided that they couldn't do the surgery mm-hmm. thing they just weren't a blood and they couldn't do, they just couldn't do it yeah um i was able to get in touch with any other staff members um mm-hmm. so once we got had the dog anesthetized the owner decided to run away and leave him with her dog um and we had a very successful cesarean pulled 13 puppies out of the dog while i'm doing the surgery i'm pulling the puppies out removing the amniotic sac and then um tying off the umbilical cords i can't quite remember how i did that because that would have been a feat while you're still in surgery but it happened and i was sort of rubbing them with you have to do in the moment I know, yeah. So I had towels all laid out and pulled out 13 puppies. Um, and I was with one foot, I'm giving them a rub until they're until you hear that joyous little squeal. Uh, and then Nothing the other better. one I'm standing sewing up, you know, the dog until she recovers. Um and a big dog that, too. It's not like just some little <laughs> dog. It takes time, people, just for those that aren't aware, to sew up a bull. What did you say? Bull mastiff, didn't you? A bull mess, you've got to yeah, sew up the uterus. Mess. You've got 13 puppies on the floor. You Then you're sewing up the abdomen. Uh, and the skin. It's kind of you just do what you have miracle. to do. So, yeah. Do. And like, until you reflect on it afterwards, you're like, what the hell was that? Absolutely. <laughs> I have a similar story. <laughs> a similar story but with a mini version. Thank the Lord because I never was as quick a surgeon. I never was going to be as quick a surgeon as you are. So thankfully I had a mini bull terrier, which as we know, they do not have their own babies. They just, you know, their pelvic um, area is just so small. It is extremely rare for them to have a natural birth. And this mini bull terrier in the middle of the night needed some help. Um, And I was lucky enough that I was able to round up and cajole one of my nurses, which was very difficult. As you know, like you were on call by yourself. And for Gawler, I was on call for four clinics, the four, (laughs) hey Theo, the four clinics, um, you know, and we all took turns in looking after each other's clinics and, you know, I was under strict instructions by the nurses, do not call me unless you are absolutely in dire straits and then, you know, there has to be a perk, and which is fair enough, like, you know, to get them out. So I managed to get them out, one of them out, and uh, this C-section we had 11 puppies. And so even with the nurse, myself, yeah, for a little dog and they weren't doing great, so we're all massaging me with my foot as I'm continuing and, um, my nurse as she's continuing the anesthetic and, and the owner as well. And um, we had two stillborns, unfortunately, um, which is not uncommon, as you know. And for that sort of number, that, you know, a, a good nine out of 11 is considered a good good litter. Um, and that cry, just such a relief, isn't it, as, you know, as the mucus and gunk is cleared um, from the airways. Yeah. It's just heartwarming. Um, it's joyful, isn't it? 
Yeah, and and same as you, you just wouldn't be able to do it these days, like for various reasons. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't see it often these days. Um, it's not something that commonly happens in our small um, inner city practice, but, uh, yeah, there's not as much um, breeding. Yeah, I guess we really. are, yeah. Yeah, we don't have we don't have the breeders, you know, the more in inner city area. Mm. You don't see mm. as much. We've had a couple. We had a rabbit cesarean. Um, we did Wendy. That was fun. Yeah. You Wendy. That was fun. Um, I and we've had uh, Wendy. Remember, she rang a dear client, fabulous client, Caroline, actually. And she said, Wendy's having trouble. And I actually humoured her. Rabbits don't, as you know, have any troubles. I know. And I thought to myself, no, 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 Caroline must have it wrong, but she's a fabulous client. She's, you know, I'm going to see what it's all about, even if I can just give her some reassurance. And sure enough, she was. And I handballed it to you and you fixed uh, dear little Wend and, yeah. Yeah. No, that oh, was Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Yes, Peter was a Pan. Boy. <laughs> yes, fun times. Yes. Yeah. Um, Alrighty. So we've done a bit of surgery stuff, yeah. and and I think um, you'd agree, Ash, that it doesn't all come down to the actual particular things that you do, but sometimes there's relationships yes. that you build. It so is. I mean, even just with Caroline and Wendy, like yeah. it's so nice just even with our busy small animal practice, just knowing who's coming in the door, what their family's up to, you know, how the animals are going and um, just getting to know them and how their pets in their lives. It's it's a really enjoyable part because it is a three-way relationship, isn't it? It's, it's us, Absolutely. it's their pet yeah. and it's them all working together to, you know, help with the relationships in that and that's, animal to owner, animal to vet, vet to owner. And, yeah, it's um, very, very rewarding, that's, that's for sure. And, um, you know, as they have babies or they come in with casts on their arms and you're like, oh, what happened here? And, you know, you just get to know them and it is a fun part of, um, very fun yeah. part. Absolutely. When you have someone that comes in and you you see them from, either being single to being married to having babies to and then with their puppies so they come in with their puppies and throughout that whole process you see the journey of the family and you also see the journey of their pet from being a puppy to to a senior um and being trusted with that you know with the care of of their their family member that they love so much is um it's really super special yeah, it's such an honour, isn't it? And and not even all their good times. Like we see yeah. people at their hardest, like I won't say their worst because that's not fair to them, but at their most stressed, um, anxious because they're in a moment when that's out of their control where they need help and really they're very kind considering the emotional state um, that they would be in. And I often try to think if the shoe were on the other foot, you know, I mean, we've obviously got the skill to look after our own pets and 99% and of the time, you know, it's pretty straightforward and occasionally it's not. Um, but to still be in control of the decision-making 
um, helps and just the trust that they put in you in that moment, so vulnerable, their fears, you know, their wishes, their hopes, everything. And it is to be, it's humbling really. That's the, the best way to describe it. It's humbling. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yes. All righty. I suppose that so, sort of takes us into waving off patience since this is best day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Waving off patience that um, that we've had for a while. Um, you've probably got one as well, Seems. Did you want me to start with mine or did you want to go with with one of yours? Yeah, no, you go. You go. You go. Um, I don't want to hog. I've been talking a little bit. But uh, one of my favourites because... As you know, we started up in Essendon together and then we opened the clinic. So we've known each other for about 15 years. Um, but one of our first patients after we opened up was little Cookie. Um, I'm not sure if you remember this little Maltese cross, beautiful little caramel fluffy thing. Um, and the poor deer came in after being attacked by a couple of dogs. And you yeah. actually, um, well, we both did some of the surgeries, but you did, um, unfortunately, there were many uh puncture wounds and um and because of the pulling of the skin it was um the blood supply was compromised and and that tissue sloughed off um, and there was a combination of letting that slough off and bandaging and then doing skin grafts to cover it to uh speed the process up and i mean dear little cookie i reckon she was with us maybe almost for four months and yeah. just such a little trooper, you know, sometimes it'd be bandage changes, other times it'd be uh, general anaesthetic, debride, get rid of the dead dying tissue, freshen it up and try to close it down so that, you know, it was quicker. But the joy of being able to say, Cookie, you are not to be seen for a while, my dear. I don't want to see you until your annuals was just <laughs> so joyous. Not that obviously we don't love seeing them, but it means Health is restored, quality of life's generally restored, and it's just, yes, this dog has gotten through it and I'm sure human practitioners feel the same way. Um, yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, Cookie's a great example of the, the, you know, the determination and the hard work that owners put in and the relationships you build because especially when you've got skin skin issues like you know there's daily dressing changes so you're seeing mm -hmm. a lot of each other um another thing I, I think you know kind of a little bit more general was sometimes you get some of those ear infections that just don't yeah. want to get better or, or you know a dog that's had chronic skin problems that you just you know that they've really struggled to to get on top of and you know really almost going back to basics or if you're seeing them as a second opinion going back to basics and starting with ticking all the boxes and getting a really good outcome so anytime you get that, that really great outcome for a pet and so you don't have to see them anymore like you know we yes. want pets to be healthy and happy we don't want to see them <laughs> um you we know, want them to come in to pop onto the scales for a treat and see you later you know <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. So that that for me makes a, a great day is is seeing those really positive outcomes and a smile on the face of the owner. I know it must be such a weight off their shoulders at the end. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. Excellent. Where's um, that? 
Yeah, I think there was one other thing that we we were going to just touch base on, and that's those real everything's plodding along okay in the clinic, then all of a sudden someone's rushing through the door with their pet in their arms, tears mm-hmm. down their face, and they just hand over like a, a pet that's, you know, been hit by a car or been in an accident of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, that getting a, a really good outcome from that, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, for me, you know, often I'm sort of dealing with the acute side of things, you know, do you need to stick a chest strain in, you know, you need to get some diagnostics, you need to Mm. treat them for shock, you need to um, stabilise them. Um, But I think probably more so there's there's a more important part of that too, isn't there, Ash? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's such a team effort, isn't it? And there can be too many cooks in the kitchen and everyone needs direction and a role so that, they know where to go. But sometimes, you know, it's important not to lose face of as we rush that patient, that dear little family pet to, you know, the treatment area, which is considered, you know, the back, but in my, you know, our mind, the treatment area where emergency life saving things is happening behind the doors where we can't have the owners because it's really important to be able to concentrate fully on the animal. Yeah. We don't leave that that person, you know, by themselves in their crisis and it's a matter of liaising with them, getting as much information about what happened, which is super important so we can sort of solve um, the problem. Uh, you mentioned a hit by a car, but sometimes it might be just they've collapsed and we don't know why. It could be um, a nasty bee sting. It could be, um, which we've had, a, you know, a few of those, of course, um, anaphylaxis from any reasons, toxins. It- um, do they have a pre-existing condition, you know? Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you need to get as much information out of them as possible. So um, that's super-duper important. Um, and also to make sure that you, their wishes are being carried out because we don't know the full scenarios of where they're at. We don't know their animal's health conditions, you know, um, unless, of course, we've seen them as our own patient and we've got their file, but um, there's all sorts of considerations to take in place and, and one doesn't want to make assumptions and one doesn't want to leave them in their moment of heart terror by themselves. So definitely team effort from front of house to back of house to, to get it all happening. Mm. 100%, 100%. It's real, yeah. um, it's a it's a great thing to watch when it, when it all works out, particularly for the pet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is, and thankfully, more oh, often than not, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm. Well, I think that just about brings us to the end of our second podcast. I Ash. know how exciting. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, now, both of us have Honey Bunny One and Honey Bunny Two at home. The um, the men that we look after look after us. <laughs> the twins. <And> I- <laughs> Or I know like the boys aren't here at the moment, but I know you asked Roski a little question. I did. I guess um, while we were focusing on the positive things um, of being a vet, I know that um, 
Uh, I'm sure Ash, well, I know this because I've spoken to him and Russ, they say that they get asked a lot about, you know, what it's like to be married to a vet. And um, I've actually never asked him, I've just laughed at that and I've never actually asked him what his answer was. So before today's podcast, I actually did ask him and his response was, um, you know, the best thing about being married to a vet was um, the peace of mind of knowing um, that the animals are being looked after, which really warmed my heart, actually. And I know that seems like a really obvious answer, but, you know, maybe it's a cynical wife in me or, you know, you'd think, oh, I don't have to worry about the animals as in, you know, tasks. But it, he referred, the biggest thing was the peace of mind of knowing that they're in good hands. And wow. yeah, so I found yeah. that really lovely. Which is nice because certainly along with being married to a vet, a vet you're going to have animals like, you, yeah. you know, it's madhouse sometimes, but um, <laughs> they, just, they just, just come hand in hand. So. I know. Well, four's your lucky number and three's mine. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's hard when there's exactly. multiples. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really enjoyed that chat. I think there's some stories from both outsides that, you know, that, we haven't even heard from each other before, so that was pretty cool. I know, it is nice. Um, nice and to- it's always nice to to hear about the good stuff um, because it does happen more than the not-so-good stuff. And it's we've got to be positive and, you know, we love what we do and we want to keep doing and loving what we do. Yeah, here's to another... Well, another at least another couple of decades. Who knows? <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll see about that one. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> All righty. Uh, well, we'll until next time. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to get to know us more, have any feedback, questions, or any topics you'd like us to shoot the shit on, drop us a line. And if you've enjoyed listening, we'd appreciate you leave us a five star review. Check out our socials and websites, drashlong.com.au and drcenacap.com.au. The website for Two Vets is coming soon, so keep an eye out. For all our Melbourneites, we'd love to see you at the Thornbury Veterinary Hospital and the Happy Dog Hub for all your veterinary grooming and wellness needs. See you later. Ciao.